Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Films. Your host is Matthew Mark Hunter. For a video version and more horror content, go to youtube.com forward slash MMH Productions. I swear, I'm just a fucking, I'm a puppet on Sesame Street. That, that's what I am. I'm not even real. I was like, there's a person under me right now with the, with the sticks. Everyone, welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk Films. We have one of the special guests who is also director of Deadly Numbers School of Monsters. Um, and when she'll let you introduce herself, so say her name and the number she did in the film and the title. Hello, my name is Selena Aurora, and I did number six, which was Deep Six. Very good. Uh, you can check out the whole film on YouTube as well. Um, number six is part of it, and you can also check it out privately on her YouTube channel as well, which is... Uh, that one would be Magical Mystical Meme. I tried to post it on my school page. Didn't work out. <laughs> When did you become interested in working as a film director and what influenced your decision to pursue this career? When I first made the decision, I was a really little kid. I remember for the longest time, I was like, I want to be an actress. I want to be a movie star. But then like just kind of finding out that like the actors are though, although they're a very important part of it and they make it happen, like the directors really kind of pick the, the feel of the film and uh, most directors like write their own film and do everything themselves so I'm just trying to be a jack of all trades in a sense I would like to um, just make as many wonderful little pieces as I can <laughs> so when creating this film did you have any experience beforehand uh, do you go to school for film um, my experience would range from like being like eight or nine making fake horror movies like doing like 80s slasher film type things and my grandma getting mad at me for ruining the house and pretty much that love for making movies uh, translated into now I, I go to Los Angeles Film School and I am in their digital filmmaking program. I'm trying to get my bachelor's in the science of digital filmmaking. Uh, they're a really great school. They've really provided for me as far as equipment goes. Uh, they like hooked me up with my laptop. They hooked me up with like my iPad and all of my filmmaking equipment. So I, I've got to be really grateful to them. Film school is a good place to get in all the basics and experience before going out and doing it. Um, so with that in mind, what is your favorite film and then also your favorite director? My favorite film I can never really like get over it. I know there's so many more complex pieces out there, but I love Labyrinth by Jim Henson. That's my all-time favorite uh, stylic, uh, stylistic choices and everything. Just like, I, I love that movie and I love puppets. Like puppets are my thing. You know that from the last interview. I have Ophelia Owl. Yeah, that and all the, uh, and David Bowie, of course. Oh the, yeah. The I mean, songs David in Bowie, it, he yeah. Was, he was a king and like 
I really liked how they didn't give like too much of the backstory of the Goblin City away. It was just kind of like, yeah, it's it's there and this is just happening to her and it's fine. So the concept's great and then just, man, dance, magic, dance. Dance, magic, dance, dance, magic. And Jim Henson is by far one of my favorite directors. Uh, he was a very kind person. He was very like, he had big dreams and he wanted everybody else to follow those big dreams. So I just, I feel a very big attachment to him. And then also uh, another director I like is Tim Burton because I put that as my last name on Facebook. Can't change <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, Tim Burton's a big inspiration for me as well with everything. I got like a whole room only uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, and I just wish they did more like promotional and merchandise for Corpse Bride personally and James the Giant Peach. James the Giant Peach was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was. So even after the Deadly Numbers film and with film school, where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I would like to be the head of my own production company. I would like to uh, get just I'm trying to think of like the best way to word this. In five years, I would like to have my own production company and just show the world what I can do. And like one of my biggest goals uh, is being on Saturday Night Live. I can't say that's going to be a five-year goal, but maybe like a 10-year. And it would be have to be like a 15 because the greats all get like five years on there. So I want to get my five years on there. <laughs> yeah, that's an obvious. That'd be one of the big things you could say you accomplished is I was on SNL or even if they made a sketch about you beforehand, either they're making fun of it or anything. It's just like a personal, like being honored. Someone like riffed off one of my films on something. People are like that, but like imitation is the best form of flattery. Like if somebody is imitating what you're doing, you're definitely doing something right. Cause if you weren't, they wouldn't imitate you. So with becoming into your, creating your own studio one day, um, how would you ensure a cast and crew stay focused and productive through long hours of creating the films? I would say just having open communication with my actors and also understanding the, physic the physical limitations of a person. I think too many directors put their deadlines too small, so they don't allow enough time for their actors to actually like, not allow enough time, it's, but it's almost like they're allowing way too much time in one day, like when there's like a 12 hour, 16 hour filming day, it it's unfair for those people. It like, I would like to increase productivity and creativity in there by accept, openly accepting ideas while also making sure that everyone's taken care of. That's good. I, I like that. Make sure everyone's taken care of is a really big important thing and making sure they're fed as well. <laughs> yeah, have craft services. Don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> make them sandwiches. Be the craft guy. If you have to be the craft guy, be the craft guy. Yeah. Make a bunch of sandwiches. Make some crackers, cheese. Do that type of stuff because they'll appreciate you. Now getting into the deadly numbers situation for uh, number six, what was your inspiration for creating film around the number six? Well, I thought if I did something with the devil, that would just be like way too overdone because everybody like if they would have got the number six, they would have just jumped on it and been like six, six, six. But like 
I wanted to be clever about it in a sense. So I looked up a lot of different sayings that had, um, that had six in them. And eventually I found the naval term deep six, which means to do, to uh, permanently, I'm not gonna say this right because I don't have it right in front of me, but pretty much it means like to destroy something irrevertibly. And when I had gotten that idea, I was like, you know what? Like the best way to destroy somebody in a film is take them to a different dimension. Cause I mean, how the fuck are they gonna get back? That, that was my whole thing. And I was like, okay, so now I know I wanna work with the, like multiple dimensions. And then I was like, okay, so it needs to be the number six. And I've also gotta have it relate to something else, the number six. So I was like, all right, well, people have watched for years and years and years, couples like gonna go settle down, but like something crazy happens. So I took advantage of that trope and I was like, they're going towards their happily ever after, but then there's a freak electrical storm. So like them traveling was that electrical storm. So there'd be no way to replicate that. So the audience already knows that they're freaking gone. And uh, originally there was supposed to be, the landlord was supposed to be a character and he was gonna be called the eccentricist. And he was gonna be like, because it says in the end that he runs a mediocre film company, but I really wanted to, I wanted to have more time with that character, but I needed all the other pieces to make it make sense. So I feel bad. Um, but the eccentricist was supposed to like, pretty much just kind of like randomly be there. He was going to be the one to sell in the house and then like be the landlord of the house and be the exorcist. So it, it just didn't work out though. I wish I could have given that character time. <laughs> So with that in mind also, after doing the Deadly Numbers, um, would you think that Deep Six would, what you would think in the future is to make like an extended version, a prequel to it, or a feature film version? I would love to do that, honestly, because there's so much, uh, there's so much potential with that concept of having like this malevolent, but crazy, uh, like, film director deity and then he's pretty much just kind of like oh yeah I'm kidnapping people from different dimensions and bringing them into this town and then once they come to this house they get bothered by ghosts I make a movie out of it then they're stuck there like I'd like to do an extended version though I feel like it'd be cool to have like show the eccentric exorcist and have those bits so even with while filming what would you say would be uh, first the hardest part that you had to shoot and then also the easiest scene you had to shoot? Well, uh, the hardest one I would say is, and you can tell I struggled this with this one, it was that like the doll ghost scene. I call her Rusty Sam. It's supposed to be like a knockoff of Raggedy Ann. Pretty much I would like, I'd get behind the door and I'd push it open and then I would like army crawl and then I'd have to like pop up and I fell over like three times trying to do that I dropped a butter knife I freaking made my grandma's dog mad because I'm just making all kinds of noise in here army crawling on the floor like it's for my art <laughs> that was one of the hardest scenes to film well I kind of take that back those car scenes where me and Greg are like seizing out we had to do like a lot of different takes to try to figure out the angle I wanted to do them from because it didn't look right each time and I was just like ah oh, I'm sorry have a have another seizure I'm sorry 
I know you've went apeshit like three times already, but just do it for me again. <laughs> so with the hardest and the easiest part you mentioned, um, with the rest of the film, can you explain how the filmmaking process of creating the film went? And then uh, how you were uh, thinking about editing the film? Okay, so my filmmaking process, I usually like to start off because I'm very, uh, I like to write. So I'll start off and I'll write it out as um, kind of like a treatment, uh, very basic treatment though. It's just like, okay, well, this happens and this happens. This is why it's happening, but like, so a short story. And then I take the short story and then I go into, well, no, that's, that's a step too soon. Okay, so I take the short story, I make notes, I'd like what I'd change. And then once I do all that, then I go and I make a beat board. So like pretty much it's like, the colored squares and like each square tells you pretty much what's gonna be happening in that scene. And it's just like two sentences. So I build the beat board. And then once I have the beat board, then I do the storyboards. I will do those about like two or three times before I even start moving forward because the way things are set up is very important to me. And just like having my scene set up in a tiny square that's just a picture helps. And then when I'm writing it, I use my storyboard and go square by square. And then I write out my scenes with like the dialogue. And I, as you can see, I didn't use any dialogue because I don't know how to do it very well yet. Uh, it has to feel really natural and I feel like it's not coming off too natural. So it was, it was basic. I like wrote out what was gonna happen in the scene and like who was in the scene, where it was at. And then from the script, I kind of like, I took my own notes on the script. And I was like, all right, it's going to be too long. So I got to take this stuff out. And um, the editing choices, I kind of include them in my script though, because I'll be like, okay, we want to do uh, like a filler shot here where it's going to be like a tunnel or we want to do like the electrical storm. So like it's noted in my script. So I guess the editing comes a bit sooner than it than it usually does. And then also within the film, um, I know for one of my films in the past, there was a scene at a store and we shot it at Mark's guerrilla style where we had someone with a camera hiding and we just did the scenes with no one knowing and then we ran out the store. So there's a scene in your film where um, um, you're going through a, looks like a type of gas station. Um, did you have permission to film there or was it another thing where you just shot it and went or how did you manage to do that film, that scene in the movie? Well, uh, with The Glorious Helps of Pixabay, if you are a filmmaker, I would definitely go check it out. Um, they include like camera footage from like all around the world and you can just kind of like clip it the way you want it. That convenience store was actually, I believe, in India. Uh, I'm not too sure, like I don't remember exactly, but I remember editing that like piece of film because it's just somebody like walking in the store with their cell phone and probably just like flashing it sideways. So what I did was I took that footage and I, um, I put my audio over it. So then it would seem like I was there, but I don't have that type of travel budget. So <laughs> it, it worked out great. Um, because I've had a couple of people be like, well, where's that store at? And I'm just like, not here. <laughs> um, another big thing that was a good um, within the film, because all the films are horror films, 
is um, for Deep Six, there's a slight comedy release part, relief part, which is um, the T-Rex in the shower scene. Um, so how did that go with filming? And was it fun to do that? Oh gosh, it was so fun. Seeing my like six, five fiance Greg in that T-Rex costume, it like makes you taller than you are already. So he was like nine foot tall, just like trying to fit in the bathroom. We had some issues because uh, we wanted to do it with the shower on, but then both of us kept getting wet and then the camera, like I have a case on my iPad. It was all filmed on an iPad. Uh, and like, I just, it kept getting wet and I was like, I'm gonna end up jacking something up. So we got to turn the shower off. And when it was filmed, the way it's edited, uh, that's not the event, the, like how it took place. It was like, he was flickering the lights and flushing the toilet. And then we filmed the shower part and I just edited them like together. So then it would be like, it would flow smoother. Cause I felt like if we did, like we showed that and then we showed the shower scene, we wouldn't get why we were seeing the shower scene. So I was like, the T-Rex is gonna be friendly and hand him a bottle of shampoo. And then he's like, oh, fuck you. Flicking the light switch and like doing the toilet. I, I just told Greg to get as crazy with it as possible. We had shampoo bottles everywhere. Uh, you didn't see that part of it though. Cause it just shot looked too messy, mm -hmm. too messy. I didn't like it. When I got uh, all the films earlier before the release date, as another horror director and who've seen many films, um, some of the films reminded me of other films. Uh, so I was curious if you've ever seen the film, either House or House 2. This is a house where no one should live. I haven't actually, I was kind of going like, I, I pulled up a lot of different references, but I was kind of like going for like a cabin in the woods type feel, like just random ass creatures. <laughs> going about how some films remind people or how they get inspiration from other films. Um, do you think all the good stories have already been made into films? Or do you think there's maybe a slight small amount that's still soon to be hidden? Because um, I know a lot of people just like in Hollywood, they're either doing a lot of sequels or they're remaking a lot of things. Um, and personally, I think there's so many books out there that should be made into films that have not even been looked at or touched that they could be into films because a lot of books are more originality with the authors. So do you think that all the good stories have already been made into films or is there still something out there special? There's still worlds and worlds and worlds of potential that we haven't even begun to scrape the surface. I believe it's very rudimentary thinking to think that all the good stories have been written because good, good stories exist within each and every one of us and we all have a great story to tell. It may be multiple. Some people just have that eye into the other uh, the nether realms where there is magical things and there is different things that you can see. And I, I don't mean it like a crazy way, but I mean- oh, like I, I'd, have to, I, I'd agree with you also. Cause I know the biggest thing is a lot of the people who have all the creative ideas that's like creating them, like say uh, the directors for Daily Numbers or other films in the indie community, if the indie directors had a bigger, this like, if they took a Hollywood film of say like, like a 20 million dollar budget for a film for a hollywood like sequel or something and then they gave like a million dollars for each indie filmmaker randomly the creative possibilities 
would come flowing out and they'd probably be able to make more than one film with that kind of budget. So I think it's a big thing is about a lot of people who have the creative ideas don't have the type of budget that other companies do to say, hey, this is what I do. So then they only post on YouTube or some festivals. And I think that's, uh, it's been a problem for a long time because uh, it's like only certain people are really uh, publicized and stuff like that. And there's like mainstream Hollywood where it's like James Cameron, they want James Cameron for everything, Michael Bay and like these guys. And it's because they've built, they've built like this wall around it where it's like, it, it shouldn't be that way though. I think we have a lot of younger aspiring filmmakers that's gonna change that standard because uh, social media is relatively new in the grand scape of human society. So like it does help a lot with the distribution process and trying to get your name out there. Like I feel personally, there's gotta be a change in the industry standard. And I think like us independent filmmakers have done, like worked on deadly numbers. I think we've got to be the ones to get ourselves out there and just do the best that we can. So then the opportunities open for other people and other people can rise up faster because it, it's hard. It, it takes a lot of like random nights, random commenting on people's posts. Like I have zero filmmaking community where I live. Like I live here in Pueblo, Colorado and there's zero. Like I, I've looked for actors. I've looked for anybody that wants to work with me. That's that's not possible, but like I said, with social media, we can change the industry standard. It can be changed. They've been halted because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We have not, we have continued to work. So independent filmmakers will rise. Hoorah! So another big thing that a lot of people have is writer's block. So to go off on that is how do you stay fresh when your inspiration is low and you don't feel highly creative? The best thing I can do for myself is just, uh, I think of the silliest possible thing I can, the silliest thing. And like, it doesn't have to be something I'm gonna make a film on. It doesn't have to be anything really, but just the goofiest thing I can think of. And usually if I just get a couple of those and then I'm like, all right, I know what I'm doing. Or like intentionally jack stuff up when you're working on writing, like just intentionally like put something in there that doesn't belong. So you have to go back and fix it. Because a lot of times people don't want to like fix their writing or fix things because like th there's nothing messed up in it. But if you put that intentional messed up thing in there, you will find other things wrong with your writing. You'll find like a double word or you'll find just different things. And it, a, that's a big part of the creative process though and I think that's where people get stuck up at is the writing because the writing can be very tumultuous and it can be it can be very like weighing down because you're making a whole entire world on a piece of paper I mean like any artist would have a hard time what advice would you have for anyone who's young or aspiring directors who want to get started in the beginning process create 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 network 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 <laughs> very redundant but just do as much silly things not silly but like with me that's that's my whole brand but uh just do whatever you're gonna do but you gotta suck at something before you're good at it so just move forward and keep moving forward regardless even you're like oh god this is cringy just move forward because that's the only way things ever pay off too many people give up because they don't feel like what they're doing is good enough 
you are always good enough. If you're telling a story, if you are creating a narrative, if you are even participating in somebody's narrative, you are doing something great. And you can't tell yourself that you're not doing well enough because it will stop you from ever trying to go out and get more opportunities. Know your worth. Yeah. What is your guys' weather like there out in Ohio? Like, do you guys get snow? <laughs> we had snow about a week ago. Okay, I was like... And then the next day was like 80. It's... I sound like Colorado, too. <laughs> All right, so like... So just to fit with the interview and everything, I did want to show my uh, storyboards and my script. Uh, it's going to be so silly, but... As you can see with the storyboard, I have like, my drawings are just very like filled with personality. So you can kind of get the whole thing. Uh, the, ex the eccentricist was originally supposed to be, oh, the camera's mirrored, I'm such a doink. Oh, but, it worked, I, I can see it. All right, but, uh, boop, boop, where's he at? I just saw him, I lost him, he's right there. But he was originally supposed to be like a slender man type uh, one slur character. I, I like when I drew him for my references, I'm literally like the Onceler from the Lorax. And then <laughs> I, I just got that like character map. I was like, he's gonna have a top hat. But um, this is the final storyboard. This is the first one actually. And you can see it's like, it's a lot cruder, but I make too many of these when I make anything. I have to get a new notebook, but uh, the script itself, you can see that I've taken out, I wanted to use narration so bad, but I thought that was going to be so lame, but then I saw everybody else use narration in their films, and I was like, I should have went with it, I should have gone for it. It'd be different. And then originally, it was going to be like with the ghosts, I wanted to do it more of like a, kind of get closer to paranormal activity and have it be like security cam footage it, that just never came into fruition I guess with editing when I was color grading I was like I don't like how this looks the camera's moving too much who would walk around with a security camera I mean Kyle and Maria might because they're kind of like intergalactic <laughs> dumbasses but I yeah with the scripts like uh, and then a big point too was with the grocery store scene. I took so long to record that because the song, like how I had to make the stupid little rhyme me song. Ah, yes. You seek someone to rid of your ghosts, but the man that you seek is a creep and he will put you in sticks. Welcome to deep six. That man will be your end. He will keep you forever in chain to entertain forces that you know nothing of. If fame is what you want, then fame is what you're going to get. Just beware. Because what you get isn't always what you want, is it not? Um, that was embarrassing. I felt personally embarrassed. I feel personally attacked by that clip. But... Uh, it's a part of the art thing. You you just got to do shit that that's crazy because it gets people to notice you. Oh yeah. Uh, that way to go. I hate how it like goes into my mouth like in that scene, 
because like I couldn't make it stop doing that but I was like I don't want to use my real hair and then the wig looks exactly like my real hair <laughs> I, um another thing that um you told me is when you watched the first time you were taking notes of all the filmmakers and then that video type review is going to be on your youtube channel as well yes sir i want to do that review video i want to try to work on it tonight uh, my fiance works graveyards so at nighttime i am a vampire i'm working on all this film stuff so i can spend time with him during the day so anyways with the video review i would like to i'm trying to decide if i want to do like short clips from it or do like a react style video and show like the shots that i really liked so then we can get more publicity out there because I feel like by just talking about it, I'm not going to give give enough to the creators too, because they all worked so hard on it. And I want people to go watch theirs and I want everyone to experience that because when I watched it, I felt like I had, I'd went through a vacuum tube and I went to like a whole different uh, world of filmmakers and like it, it was really cool. I enjoyed it and I want other people to get that experience. So I'm hoping by like doing a review, we can attract some people that we wouldn't normally attract. Mm -hmm. works. I, uh, and then with the review thing, I thought I'd spice it up a little bit and have like an Elvira-esque character read it. But I'm like, I'm going back on forth on that because I'm like, I don't want it to seem ingenuine. And I feel like by doing a character, it'd come off a bit ingenuine. For the so review part? Yeah, but you know, a little homage to Elvira. She reviewed horror movies. She was the first. Not necessarily the first, but she was one of them. She's one of the main ones. One of the ones that are recognizable. I mean, I, I probably didn't go for exactly Elvira, but I could get I could get wickedly, weirdly close and people would be uncomfortable with it. And that's kind of what I'm always shooting for. With this, uh, this project that I'm working on now, I've been writing a really deep mythology for uh, Moonchild 4201. It's a Moonchild uh, fourth planet out of 201. Pretty much it's going to be a like, like a television station that's based in an alternate reality, but pretty much uh, their predecessors had lived on earth beforehand, but they had uh, gotten with aliens and then the aliens brought them to Moonchild and uh, once they got brought to Moonchild, then the aliens went and helped humanity civilize themselves. I'm going too far deep into it. Like nobody finds this shit out till later, <laughs> but pretty much they're angry because the aliens like went to earth to go deal with them. So then they take inspirations from earth and try to get humans to come to their planet. And that will be like, a YouTube thing, but I've been having I've been having issues with it because I'm I'm not sure how to start it exactly. I thought about doing like just kind of ease it in because it's a sketch show. It's going to be a sketch show ultimately. It's just this is the mythos. I was like, you get a sneak peek. I give you that. 